there's definitely a lot of evidence to support that anything that is stimulating and exciting the brain during the day leads to a rebound decrease in metabolic rate showing this increase in slow wave activity at night. Human OS. Learn. Master. Achieve. Welcome back to Human OS Radio, everyone. Today I have with me Christine Wilkins, Assistant Professor in the Sleep and Carnal Biology Center in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Pittsburgh. Welcome to the show, Christine. Thanks. Happy to be here. I came across a review paper that you were the first author on in the Cell Press Journal of Trends in Neuroscience entitled Slow Wave Activity Enhancement to Improve Cognition. Let's first discuss what the term cognition encompasses. Sure. So cognition can refer to a variety of things, basically any kind of thinking. In what we're talking about in this paper, it's mostly about cognitive processes that involve higher order thinking, like what we call executive functions, which are goal-driven processes. So if you uh, really want to concentrate on something, focused attention, as well as memory performance, that would be distinct from emotion, cognitions about emotions and those sorts of processes. So what we focused on in this paper is more neutral cognitive processes, but you can just broadly think of it as thinking. So much of what is required of us today has a lot to do with how well our brain is working. So this idea to possibly enhance aspects of sleep that then lead to enhanced cognition is very exciting. So before we move on to the enhancement, talk a little bit about how sleep is structured. When you're first falling asleep, you're in stage one, you progressively get into deeper and deeper sleep. And we call the next stage of sleep, stage two sleep. And that's when we know that the person is actually asleep. It's characterized by specific features that you see in the person's electroencephalogram, their EEG. And what those features are are sleep spindles, which are faster waves, as well as K-complexes, which is kind of a fast up and down wave, just one big up and down. And then as you progress further and further into deeper sleep, then the EEG slows down more and more to the point that you are seeing what we call slow waves. Mm -hmm. So they're about less than four hertz. So they're very slow in the order of seconds. And that's what characterizes the deepest stage of sleep. But then after you get through a cycle of stage one to three non-rapid eye movement sleep, you then go into rapid eye movement sleep, also called REM sleep, and that's when we have dreaming. What is slow wave activity and what do you think drives this activity? It's a lot of a decrease in brain activity, particularly in frontal brain regions. If you measure metabolic rate in the brain during sleep, you see a dramatic decrease in metabolic activity that is happening mostly during slow wave sleep. So contrast that to wakefulness when there's a lot of faster EEG activity, there's a lot of different things going on. It's more synchronized during slow wave sleep. So you have a lot of neurons working in synchrony, all doing the same thing, all firing simultaneously in this slow fashion. And it involves 
two states. There's the down state and there's the up state. The down state involves inhibition of neural activity. And all that inhibition then leads to a rebound increase, a spike in activity, which is very brief, and you call that the up state. And then it goes back to the down state. So that's what ultimately leads to this wave that looks like a slow wave where it's going up and down very slowly. So that's what characterizes slow wave sleep. Talk about the coordination between higher metabolic rate during daytime activity with thinking, and then how that will promote the slow wave activity that you see during this stage of sleep. So that is the main premise of this paper that we had, where we talked about what your brain is doing during the day and how you can manipulate that in order to see an enhancement of slow wave activity during sleep. So there are a variety of ways that you can increase the, for your example that you gave, metabolic activity in the brain during wakefulness. We have a variety of techniques that we reviewed where you're basically enhancing energy consumption in the brain during the day. So cognitive activity is one, meditation is one, there's also brain stimulation techniques that are done in the lab, and then also exercise, which tends to increase body heat as well as brain heat. And these techniques have all been shown in some form or another to lead to enhancement of slow wave activity. So it's kind of like the higher up you go during the day, the more down you're going to be at night in terms of your metabolic rate in your brain. That's a very interesting thought. If you use your brain intensely in this variety of ways, physical activity, thinking, meditation, all of those things will be reflected in the type of sleep that you get at night. That is right. There's definitely a lot of evidence to support that. Anything that is stimulating and exciting the brain during the day leads to a rebound decrease in metabolic rate, showing this increase in slow wave activity at night. Because you're using energy, particularly in this prefrontal cortex during the day, is that part of the brain really driving the activity of the slow waves? That's an interesting question. So there's this idea of local sleep that Tononi and colleagues have proposed where Mm -hmm. the more that you use a particular brain region, that you'll see localized increases in slow wave sleep over that particular brain region. Mm -hmm. So it's not just the prefrontal cortex that we see slow wave sleep in general, it's predominantly over the prefrontal cortex because that's an area that gets used a lot during the day. But there is also evidence that if you do, say, a visual spatial task is one task that they've used to demonstrate this. So a visual spatial task where you have to track the spatial location of something on the computer screen. And that really depends on the parietal cortex. And what they found is that they demonstrated an increase in slow wave activity over the parietal region where this task mostly depends on. 
One function of slow wave activity has been proposed to be some sort of a file transfer mechanism. Memories encoded during the day that are shipped from the short-term storage in the hippocampus to the long-term site in the neocortex. Can you describe what sleep spindles and sharp wave ripples are, which you mentioned the spindles earlier, as well as the role of slow wave activity in coordinating this transfer process? It seems as though the coordination of those three sleep features are what's critical for the consolidation of memories that occurs with slow wave sleep. Slow waves are very global, but they are primarily over the prefrontal cortex, whereas spindles are thalamocortical. They're basically a loop that occurs between the cortex and the thalamus. Those occur at 12 to 16 hertz. There's faster sharp wave ripples that mostly are able to see in an animal by inserting an electrode into the hippocampus. There's a little bit of evidence that we can see them in humans, but that's a work in progress right now. But the sharp wave ripples originating from the hippocampus are basically thought to be like the information processing units that carry the memory information. And then the spindle is what helps to transfer that information from the hippocampus. So there's limited resources in the hippocampus. And if you stored all of your memories in your hippocampus, there would be no room for new memories. So you have to spread your memories out to other parts of your brain over time. So the spindle is what is supposed to facilitate the spreading of this information over other parts of the brain so that it can free up resources of the hippocampus. And this is what is occurring primarily during slow wave activity. The hippocampus is almost like a way station for new memories that uh, the stimulation that takes place during the day and at night, in accordance with these three characteristic EEG features, you then see the transfer of those memories out of the hippocampus and into the neocortex. So slow wave activity has also been important for something called synaptic scaling. What is this and what are its effects? There's a lot of evidence that during wakefulness, you're building a lot of connections between neurons in the brain. By having experiences, new connections in your brain are made. What happens during sleep is sleep's one of the main roles is to basically say, okay, a lot of these connections were made. We don't need these anymore. And we're going to downscale those connections. So getting rid of those connections is one of the main cognitive functions of sleep. But there's a little bit of debate about how this scaling basically promotes memory consolidation. So by one view, which is from Giulio Tononi's group, there's no enhancement of connections during sleep. It's all decreasing connections. And basically, you are honing what connections are important by getting rid of irrelevant connections. In contrast, a more active view would say that, okay, there's downscaling of irrelevant connections, but then maybe there's also upscaling of relevant connections during sleep. Basically, if during sleep, some of our memories are being reactivated, then those connections that represent those memories could actually be strengthened during Mm -hmm. sleep. It's interesting when you first learn that a sign of a good memory is actually forgetting things that might cloud the focus on things that are more important. Right. There's this interesting idea that 
certain information gets tagged as relevant based on emotion or motivation, importance to the person, and that slow wave activity tracks that tagging and is able to enhance slow wave activity, particularly for things that are most relevant to the organism. So let's move on to enhancement of slow wave activity. Who do you think might benefit most from interventions that increase this type of activity? Is this something that potentially anyone could benefit from? Is it just in the elderly or people that have neurodegenerative disease? What do you think is the scope of potential technologies in this field? I think that there are a variety of populations, some more obvious than others. So older adults, for instance, have a lot less slow wave activity than young adults. In adolescence, you have a ton of slow wave sleep. And then as you get older from there, it basically declines. And there are some older adults who maintain somewhat higher levels of slow wave activity and some who do not. So that's an important important question, figuring out what Mm. leads to that, number one, but also can we enhance it in individuals who have particularly reduced slow wave activity or even just, you know, a healthy older adult I think that there is sufficient evidence to suggest that enhancing slow wave activity, even if you're not part of a patient population, that that's definitely has beneficial effects. A huge literature on memory consolidation and sleep is done in young adults, demonstrating that increases in slow wave activity and coupling with spindles is what leads to improved memory performance over one night, for instance. So there's not a lot of research in the long run on enhancing slow wave activity. That's definitely something that people are getting more and more excited about because it could be so relevant for people who just have basic cognitive aging, but also people who have cognitive impairments or at at a later stage of neurodegeneration. So we're doing a lot of research in mild cognitive impairment right now to see if enhancements of slow wave activity can improve executive function. So this goal-driven processing as well as memory performance. And then also schizophrenia is an example of a population where this kind of research can be critical because they tend to have lower slow wave activity as well. And in addition to well-documented cognitive issues. So I think that the aging population and certain mental health groups, particularly those with schizophrenia, could benefit most from this. We talked a little bit earlier about things that at least track with increased and slow activity. So things like exercise and mentally challenging tasks. Yeah. Also things like sex and heating of the brain, creating warm sensitive neurons in the hypothalamus. A lot of these things seem to track with markers of energy usage, a lot of immune chemicals like interleukin-1 beta and TNF-alpha or activation of parts of the hypothalamus, even hormonal changes too. We talked about those. And now the novel ways of enhancing him, let's talk about some of those. So this is things like transcranial stimulation, olfactory stimulation, vestibular stimulation. Can you speak a little bit about each of these and their relative merits and shortcomings from what we know about them now? 
Sure. So first of all, vestibular stimulation, I would group in with all of the other more like natural slow wave sleep enhancing techniques. So that's just rocking, like having a bed that's rocking. And so people always talk about how you can help a baby fall asleep by rocking them. And that's probably tapping into these same mechanisms. Ultimately, what the mechanism is, is in training the brain to fire within this low frequency. So by slowly rocking an individual, their brain gets entrained to that rhythm and you end up with this global synchronous low frequency activity that characterizes slow waves. So that can help a person fall asleep and some evidence shows that it can also enhance the amount of slow wave activity. These transcranial stimulation techniques that you mentioned work through that same mechanism of trying to slow the brain down. So there's transcranial magnetic stimulation, for instance, which creates a magnetic field and then you can stimulate the brain at the frequency that you want that brain region to be excited at. So if you stimulate the brain, you know, let's say part of the prefrontal cortex, stimulate that at less than one hertz, a very slow frequency, then you can make the brain have slow waves. If you do this during sleep and if it's at an optimal time for slow waves to be generated. So it is important that it is during sleep and it's at this optimal time. So they don't tend to show that you can just have an awake person and start stimulating them at one hertz and then they're asleep in deep sleep. But you can basically enhance the slow waves that are already likely to be generated naturally. That's one approach. And then also on the flip side of that, kind of analogous to exercise, I think, but in a brain stimulation way, is basically to use higher frequency brain stimulation during wakefulness. And that, again, increases energy consumption in the brain, which ultimately your brain naturally rebounds from by increasing slow wave activity. Binaural beats that is playing frequency ranges. Has that type of technique been utilized to try to... Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So you're saying auditory stimulation during wakefulness, if it's like higher frequency, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. So one approach that has been used that's similar to that is visual stimulation, like high frequency visual stimulation during wakefulness. And there are some studies on that. They tend to look more at insomnia and falling asleep. So whether that decreases your sleep latency, how long it takes you to fall asleep. And those do show positive results. So again, in line with this idea that if you can really excite the brain during wakefulness, that ultimately leads to this cascade where the brain wants to recover from all of that excitement if you will. And then that is what ultimately is manifested with the slow wave activity. Some people have suggested that slow wave activity is actually epiphenomenal. And that's to say that while slow wave activity coincides with this period where these different cognitive enhancing activities are taking place, it doesn't play a causal role in coordinating Mm -hmm. the deep sleep. And what are your thoughts on this? I think that that is completely reasonable, number one. 
I think that there's more likely a bi-directional relationship, but what definitely makes sense is that slow waves are generated by the prefrontal cortex. And someone whose prefrontal cortex is degenerating is just not going to be able to generate high amplitude slow wave activity. And along and by the same means, they are not going to be able to perform cognitive tasks and to the same extent as somebody whose prefrontal cortex is not degenerating. So I think that it is totally reasonable to think that this relationship is bidirectional. And it would be nice, I think, if it is the case that slow wave activity can be modified and that that could have a positive influence on cognition because sleep is modifiable and it's hard to change someone's brain. So I think that it would be great if we could find ways to modify slow wave activity that can be useful in the long run. But I think it's definitely the case that just somebody who, for example, someone with Alzheimer's disease who Mm -hmm. has a lot of neurodegeneration, they have not a lot of slow wave activity either. So I think that it's very much reasonable to think that it goes in the direction of brain is degenerating and that's affecting the sleep. The slow wave activity perhaps might be permissive and necessary in order to allow for the background processes to occur. So if you can't get into that permissive environment, that could then inhibit those memory forming transfer processes to occur. But enhancing a condition that you're already getting an adequate amount of might not see a lot of additional enhancement. So it could really just be of clinical benefit for those that are missing that state versus enhancement for those who are getting an adequate degree through proper lifestyle stimulation. Yeah, I think that there is enough evidence, at least in the short term, that we enhance slow waves, that that does enhance memory. You know, just whether there is in the long run, so cross-sectionally, for instance, if you relate slow wave activity in one individual to their cognitive performance or their memory performance, there's definitely a lot of positive studies showing that people who tend to have high higher slow wave activity, tend to have better cognitive performance, better memory performance, but it's not always the case. So definitely in terms of understanding the long-term consequences of slow wave sleep enhancement, that's very much remains to be seen. If you do try to optimize for slow wave sleep enhancement, is there some sort of competitive inhibition of other processes that are important in different ways? So you're optimizing for memory, but you're also then potentially having a downstream negative consequence of that enhancement. Do you think that that is a real possibility? So are you saying that by basically interfering during somebody's sleep, by stimulating their brain or playing tones or something like that during their sleep? Exactly. Like I think you can do that in a phase lock fashion that might have greater. I think that that is an interesting point. There's a lot of interest in these techniques that you can use during sleep to be able to deepen your sleep acoustic stimulation in particular. There is so much research on acoustic stimulation. Giulio Tononi, there is a product to do this 
to increase slow wave sleep through acoustic stimulation. There's a lot of interest in that. And there is some interest as well in the brain stimulation techniques during sleep. And certainly sense is definitely a promising avenue. So having lavender oil, for instance, there are very few studies, but to my knowledge, they're all positive effects. I haven't seen too much conflicting evidence for presentation of lavender during sleep, but whether that is actually good to have all night, every night, right. <laughs> same thing for the other techniques, whether that is really in the long run going to be good for your sleep. Is a person going to be dependent on that, you know, either psychologically or or physiologically. So this is why I think that some of these wake techniques where you have a natural rebound in slow wave activity, such as exercise, sexual activity, cognitive activity, although I would say exercise probably has the most robust effects. Those type of activities, I think, are very promising for like long-term effects. Granted, they take more work on the part of the individual and more motivation. But I think that the obvious benefit of them is that there is absolutely no interference at nighttime in order to enhance the slow wave. One thing that we're working on right now is doing brain stimulation during wakefulness. So in that case, it doesn't take as much motivation on the part of the patient or participant. But again, enhancing slow wave activity, but without having to go in and interfere at night. I'm always interested in the techniques that fully leverage lifestyle behaviors first. But it is also interesting to think about the environment. Can you play pink noise in the background during sleep? And is that going to be only positive? Yeah, I totally agree. I find the idea of enhancing your lifestyle in order to enhance sleep and ultimately other aspects of your life to be so interesting. I mean, warm baths, is one of these techniques that I think is just so fun to think of it as something that enhances your sleep. And nobody has really looked at it. At least no publications have come out with warm baths and how that affects your sleep to ultimately improve your cognitive performance. But there's a lot of evidence that taking a warm bath at night enhances slow wave sleep. So those kind of things are really intriguing. And there is evidence that if you do this closer to bedtime, that it is more likely to enhance deep sleep. And then the pink noise thing is interesting because it's in contrast to white noise, it has more low frequency noise. And that is ultimately low frequency is what we're trying to entrain the brain to do when we want to enhance slow wave activity. Interestingly, though, Phyllis Z, who has published on this in particular using pink noise, she has said that she doesn't think that it needs to be pink noise per se, but any noise, as long as it's phase locked to the upstate of the slow wave. So basically, you want to enhance neural excitement at the moment that the slow wave is at its tallest. 
and right. you don't want it at any old time, that's not going to enhance your slow wave. So that is kind of intriguing. I think that, you know, there's definitely going to be a lot of interest in whether you could just play pink noise while you're sleeping and get similar benefits. As of now, it seems like the time locking and real-time measurement of EEG to know when your slow wave upstate is happening and then have the pink noise is aligned with that, it's a lot more complicated than just getting a noise machine, at least as far as we know, in terms of what leads to actual benefits. I think about the concept of interventional impact, where if you do get some benefit by playing pink noise ambiently in your room environment, and Mm -hmm. your brain entrains to that frequency, and it augments either the amplitude or time spent in slow-wave sleep, and that leads to memory enhancement without any sort of diminution of other important EEG brain activities like in sleep. Cool. Mm -hmm. That's great. If you do get an enhancement beyond that by phase locking it and playing that pink noise signal at the exact right time, but you do need to wear, let's say a headband that is going to cause possibly more friction. A lot fewer people can do it. How much greater is the benefit with the more sophisticated device and can way more people actually get the benefit of just having the pink noise on in the background? Yeah. And I don't think that we have an answer to that question yet because in general, the studies have a control condition that is basically using similar amount of some other kind of noise or interference. So how these acoustic stimulation techniques compare to just letting the person sleep naturally has been less investigated and mainly because you want to have tight experimental control But now people are interested, can I actually use this at my home and will it actually be good for me? So we have less of an understanding about that right now. Daniel Gartner, who gave a TED Talk about slow-wave sleep enhancement, has sonic sound. It can play pink noise in the background. There's even channels like YouTube that have eight hours of pink noise but sometimes those can get interrupted by commercials. If we don't have to use an expensive device and wear it at night, we can get all the benefit from doing the right things during the day. That's always what I would opt for. But I love the fact that these technologies are being generated so that people that are out of the window of being able to utilize lifestyle techniques to get all the benefit could somehow get rescued. And that is exciting to me. Yes. Getting on a virtuous cycle of exercising, benefiting your sleep, that sleep allowing you to be more recovered and then being able to exercise, etc. Do you plan to do more work in this area going forward? Definitely. So one thing that we are funded to do is to look at brain stimulation during wakefulness in people with cognitive impairments and ultimately look at slow wave activity as a mechanism of cognitive improvement. We are very interested in Alzheimer's disease and starting to look at how slow wave sleep is involved in clearance of amyloid, which is a marker of Alzheimer's disease in the brain. Yes, things are getting very exciting in that regard because there's a lot of interesting animal work showing the role of sleep in Alzheimer's disease markers. So it's just a very intriguing idea and something that we definitely plan to pursue. We also have some 
data that is just accepted, but is showing a role of sleep in amyloid and cognitive performance as well. So definitely doing a lot of this work moving forward. Christine, thank you so much for your time. I've been fascinated by this line of work for a while, and this gave me a great excuse to look into it more deeply. Yeah, thank you for these great questions. This was fun, and I'm very happy to be involved. Thanks for listening and come visit us soon at humanos.me.